0: I'll be reading from the New King James Version. If you would, turn to Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 15. Hebrews three, twelve through 15. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ. to Behold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. We have a great crowd in spite of our youth and uh, their chaperones or sponsors being on a retreat this weekend. We are glad that you're here, and uh, the youth should be back uh, before the end of the service, Lord willing, and I hope it is that you've been praying for them and their retreat, but we're glad to see you, glad to have all our college students home. Uh, We know that uh, y'all have had a productive semester, or we hope that at least, and uh, we're glad that uh, you're here, and we know certainly your families are glad that you're here to uh, spend this week uh, with you. I wanted to say something uh, as we begin. I mentioned in the bulletin last week that I've uh, included outside in the foyer on the uh, table to the left as you exit the auditorium, these cards. Uh, They are neon colors so that you can't miss them. But on one side of the card, it says, I wondered about dot, dot, dot. And on the other side, it says, I've got a friend who's struggling with dot, dot, dot. And you can leave this anonymous. You can put down a uh, thought for something that you've maybe been struggling with as far as uh, sermon topics or things that you know, uh, know if the Bible addresses or not or problems that are in your life uh, or maybe some things that your friends are struggling with or maybe you personally. it's uh, Asking for a friend is a real thing, and so you may be doing that. But uh, I'm going to include a summer or a series next year, uh, either on Sunday morning or Sunday night, uh, called You Asked For It, You Got It. And I'm going to use primarily the basis for those cards in preparing sermons. But if you have something that you would like to see uh, spoken about or hear about, um, please uh, fill out that card. We know that God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, something that's there for our benefit and... We know that God's Word has something to say either in uh, explicit statement or in principle that can benefit us as Christians. And so uh, take one of those cards and then there's a box out in the foyer that you can drop those in and um, uh, it'll give me a good idea as to where to go. But we're glad that you're here this morning and hope it is that uh, services are encouraging. In October of uh, of 1941, Winston Churchill went to the uh, Harrow School. And as he was there, and uh, it was his alma mater as I'm uh, given to understand, and as Winston Churchill was there, he gave a speech to those students. Now the speech went on for several minutes, but you may recognize the most famous part of that speech, where he told those students on that occasion in 1941, never give up. Never, 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 never give up. We can say that this morning to Christians. And we can say that as Christians, that, brothers and sisters, the greatest mistake we could possibly make is in giving up. You see, the Christian life has many metaphors that are given in Scripture that are applicable to us. One of the ones is the Christian life is a fight. As Paul finished up his uh, his personal epistle, his personal letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you remember that he said, I have fought a good fight, speaking of the Christian life. He would use that metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in talking about how it is that that, uh, I I box thus, not as one who beats the air. I fight that way. I want to obtain that prize, and therefore the Christian life is a fight. In a different place, Paul would refer to uh, Christian life as a war, a warfare. He encouraged Timothy on a number of occasions in 1 Timothy chapter 1 to wage the good warfare. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I've uh, finished the race. And as Paul would talk about the warfare that Christians endure, you remember the most famous passage, probably Ephesians chapter 6, and talking about putting on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, that you can stand against the wiles of the devil, Ephesians chapter 6. Christian life is a fight. Christian life is a warfare. The Christian life is a race. Paul says, I run thus. I run this race. Uh, the Hebrews writer said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, run the race with endurance. And from the book of Hebrews, we're written to Christians who wanted to give up. Brothers and sisters, isn't it interesting that he talks about not wanting to finish the race and not wanting to give up on the Christian life? Here's the thing that troubles me. Is that <laughs> war weariness is a real thing. Is that a fighter can become punch drunk? Is that runner fatigue is a very real thing? The Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon race. And it requires endurance, it requires to run all the way to the end. And brothers and sisters, you and I may be tempted to give up in the Christian fight, in the Christian war, and in the Christian race. But I'm here to discuss with you this morning that that is the worst mistake that we could possibly ever make. It's the worst mistake because as we get punch drunk, as we get war weary, as we get runner fatigue in the Christian life, that's the time that we know our Father, our Heavenly Father is there to support us and carry us through. Here are four reasons this morning why a Christian might be tempted to give up. Why it is that they might be tempted to throw in the towel as it were. But why it is that that's a mistake in our lives. Number one. Some Christians might quit the Christian race for this world's offerings. Some Christians might quit because of this world's offerings. Jesus, as it was that he was out in the wilderness for 40 days, given in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, you remember that one of the temptations for Jesus was the devil coming to him and showing all the kingdoms of the world and their glories in a moment of time. You see, the devil knew who he was dealing with. He knew this was God who had come down in the flesh. And the devil thought, this is my opportunity. You want to talk about A-games? The devil brought his A-game on that occasion with those three temptations. He knew that he could uh, not have to cloak anything else in in, in any kind of uh, shroud of secrecy. He didn't have to be subvert. He just went ahead and just tempted Jesus right down the line. And he said, if all these kingdoms in the world and all their glory I'll give to you if you just fall down and worship me. That's all you have to do, Jesus. Can you imagine having this big, huge 90-inch screen showing you all the things that you can have. You watch game shows sometimes, and you can have what's behind curtain number three, and, and showing those beautiful prizes and those beautiful things. What do you suppose the devil showed him? What do you suppose he showed him about the American empire? What do you think the best things that would be of our lives that he would have showed Jesus and said, Jesus, you can have these things. If it isn't, you'll just fall down and worship me. And Jesus, on that occasion, on all three occasions there in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, responded from the book of Deuteronomy, quoting Scripture, Away with you, Satan, for it's God alone that you should worship, and Him alone you should serve. Jesus was tempted with all the world's goods and their glory. Is it any wonder that Christians today are tempted with this world and the things that are in it? That's why John wrote passages like First John chapter 2 and verse 15 to 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, that all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. We can get on a plane this morning, and we can go to any one of a number of countries, where it is the lifestyle is much, much less than it is here in the United States of America. And we can go and we can visit those places and we can see the things that are offered there and we can see how many creature comforts that we enjoy today here in America, the United States of America, and how many things those people have to do without. And you know what? It doesn't affect us as deeply because sometimes we say, well, I don't live here. I get to get on that plane and I get to go home because my citizenship is not here. Brothers and sisters, please don't get caught up in thinking that your citizenship is here in the United States of America only. You see, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, we're citizens of heaven. And as good as America may treat us, And it's how many things that we have to be thankful for in this week of Thanksgiving and how many things we can say, thank you, God, for these things. We always have the promise that the best is yet to be and we always recognize that our citizenship doesn't end here as Americans. It ends in heaven. Some people are going to quit because of this world's offerings because they sacrifice their Christian race, their Christian fight, their Christian warfare for what this world has that's passing away that's leaving, that's temporary. Number two, some Christians are going to give up, not because of this world's offerings, but because of unfaithful Christians. Some people are going to quit because there are people that are not what they ought to be. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, talks about a man by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. You look back up in Acts chapter 4, and you're going to find a man by the name of Joseph who is surnamed Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And he sells a piece of land, and he comes and lays down the money at the apostles' feet. And can you imagine the Christians everywhere going, wow, that's amazing. And there were several that followed in his footsteps. Ananias and Sapphira seemed like they followed in his footsteps, and yet they weren't honest about what it was that they were giving. Peter would say they're lying to the Holy Spirit. They're lying to God about it. We'll talk about lying this evening. As they were looking at it, and you look and you see Ananias and Sapphira and say, these Christians aren't what they should be. Do you suppose it was a temptation for maybe some of those Christians to look and say, well, wait a minute, they're hypocrites. Those people are not what they ought to be. You know what, I think I'm going to give up in the Christian life because... Ananias and Sapphira are hypocrites because they don't behave like they ought to, like I think that they ought to. You know, flip over in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. (coughs) You find a couple of Christians here as Paul concludes this letter. And note that one of them was a faithful worker. Well, they were all faithful workers at one time. Note what he says there in verse 10. He says, there's a man by the name of Demas who was at one time a fellow worker with Paul. He said, Demas has forsaken me. What was the problem, Paul? The first problem we talked about, having loved this present world. As you go down further in the context, he talks about Alexander the coppersmith, seeming like Timothy knew who he was. Maybe he was a member, maybe he wasn't. He said, he did me much harm. You jump down a little further in the context and Paul's there in prison. He's having to go and stand on trial. And verse 16 says, at my first defense." there wasn't a single person who stood with me. All forsook me. you suppose that was a downer to Paul? Do you suppose that was a disappointment and a discouragement to Paul as he sat there alone in that prison cell, uh, chained to that, uh, that Roman, and, and thinking about his imprisonment there in Rome, and thinking, these Christians aren't what they ought to be. That's it. I'm done. I'm going to give up. Brothers and sisters, the truth is, there's not a single one of us in this room That is everything that they ought to be. There's not a single Christian in this room that has done maturing and that has done growing and has done uh, progressing as a Christian. We're all growing, hopefully, and progressing. And it is that we make mistakes from time to time. We don't do everything that we ought to time to time. We don't always speak the words that we ought to from time to time. And sometimes it is we can be very, very callous with our words. We can be very thoughtless with our words. But for somebody to look at us and say, listen, these people are just not loving. They're just not what they ought to be. They miss the point. They miss the point because we're all trying to grow to be like Jesus. At least I hope that's the goal. I hope that's your goal. But when we see people that aren't what they ought to be, and people that are giving up on the Christian life or Christians that are behaving as hypocrites, brothers and sisters, are you really going to let somebody, being a hypocrite, determine where you spend eternity? Are you really going to let somebody who's being a Christian and not behaving as they ought to determine where it is that you go, either heaven or hell? You see, my commitment is first and foremost to the Lord. My commitment is to being God's man, being Christ's man, his representative here on this earth, his disciple. But as we have grace with one another, as we have forgiveness towards one another, We cannot let people who are not what they ought to be affect us in our Christian life. Yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, it's going to be painful when brethren don't behave like they ought to. But we're family. And we're tied together by the yoke of Christ. But there are going to be some people that are going to quit because of unfaithful brethren. There are some people that will quit, number three, because of tragic circumstances because of tragic circumstances, maybe a death in the family. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, as we discussed this past Wednesday, is a time written about the things that we have to fall in this life, the things that come to us and if we have this. We have the time to be born and time to die, a time to mourn, a time to dance, all of those different things that he lists there in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 say these things are part of what the human existence is all about. And how it is sometimes whenever you're in dire straits, when you're in difficult situations and difficult matters, such as some of those Christians there in Revelation 2 and 3, about the persecution that you're enduring for being a Christian. And there's tragic circumstances that come sometimes as a result of you being devoted to Jesus. And in those times, is it a thought in my head and a thought in your head to say, Christianity is too much. My relationship to Christ is too much. That's why Jesus said it's so important that somebody sits down and counts the cost in Luke chapter 14. And he uses two metaphors there. One as a king going out to battle. The other one is a man who's going to build a tower and he sits down and has to count out all his money to say, do I have enough to finish? Jesus wants us as we begin to follow Him, to count the cost, to think about our relationship with Him and say, is it worth it? Is it worth the struggle and the headaches and the difficulties that come to us, sometimes because of unfaithful brethren, sometimes because there's persecution that comes through following Jesus? Paul, again, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, said, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Does that suffering make you want to give up? Does that suffering make you want to go back into the world and say it's easier there? It's what those Jews were doing, and or those Jewish Christians were doing in the book of Hebrews. That's why the Hebrews writer had to say, exhort one another while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I don't want you to be ignorant about those things. I want you to go on and run a good race. Go all the way to the end. Don't give up because of tragic circumstances. Fourth one's a little strange but it's equally valid, I believe. Some are going to quit because of excellent circumstances. Sometimes you'll observe there are people when they are in the valleys of life, when they're as low as they can possibly get, they're right where they ought to be. They're coming forward and asking for prayers of the people that love them and care about them the most here on this earth. They're going through the the motions of studying their Bibles and coming to Bible classes and wanting to know the Word of God and saying, I want to be nearer to His heart. And in those valleys of life where they've lost a loved one or they lost a job or they're they're, they're strapped in, in, in finances or whatever it is, you find them exactly where they ought to be. But it seems like the minute that turns around and things start going on the upslope and they get to a measure of financial security or a measure of success, then it is that you notice there's an absence in the assembly. There's an absence in their, their seat where they used to sit. And they call on them as, they, as they've been active in the church prior, and you say, where, where have you been? Well, well, I'm just working so much, and there's so much going on on my plate, and I just don't have time. And so it is. The Hebrews writer warns in Hebrews chapter 2, we need to give the more earnest things to heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. There are some people that will drift away because of excellent circumstances, because things are going so well in their life that they just don't necessarily think that they need God anymore. The greatest mistake is giving up. The greatest mistake we can make is giving up. And as you look at over that list, you realize, brothers and sisters, there are some that have been members of this church, that have been members of the church that Christ purchased with His own blood, and that have gone away because of these reasons. How do we look at ourselves in application? Ken prayed this morning. How do we look ourselves in application and say, "I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to anybody." How do we handle this and how do we make sure that it is not even a thought that we're going to give up and we're going to quit in the Christian race? Here's a couple of applications this morning for you as we conclude. Number one, we've got to keep our emotions in check. We keep our emotions in check. Attitude is going to follow thinking. Thinking. Your attitude about how you behave towards certain things is going to follow the thought process that goes on in your noodle. (laughs) That's the technical term, is the noodle. As you think, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I was given a piece of advice years ago as a young preacher. It was by a preacher who had gone for years and years and years, and I don't know, I imagine Alan's probably heard something similar, maybe said something similar. They would always say, preacher, don't quit on a Monday. Don't quit on a Monday. Sometimes after a particularly rough Sunday, and sometimes Sundays can be pretty rough on a preacher. And sometimes the sermon doesn't go the way that you want to, or you have a or meet a, a member that's that's uh, that's got to be in their bonnet about something in the foyer, and and there's something that's gone on that's been really discouraging as a preacher, and of course you're already sapped emotionally. First thing, first thought on a Monday is let me go check on the one ads. <laughs> let me see who's hiring right now. And the the implication is is that you can feel a certain way. And that feeling, even though it's transitory, can shape the way that you process things until the point where you say, well, I don't see any other option than to just give up. Sometimes this plagues marriages to where a a husband feels this way about a wife or a wife feels that way about a husband. And you think in a certain way and it affects all of your behavior and you're maybe calloused or, 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 uh, or short with that person. Oh, that's it. I can't do anything with this person. I'm just going to give up on that marriage. I'm going to give up on this person. It's not what God wants you to do. We've got to realize, brother and sister, we're emotional creatures. But the way I feel, whether happy, whether sad, whether encouraged, whether discouraged, whether melancholy, whether all those things that we feel are transitory, they may pass in the next moment. But thinking rightly Means we think soberly, as it we're counseled to again and again and again, to think about our lives and think. Listen, I'm not walking by faith, I'm not walking by sight, but by faith. I'm living my life for the glory of Jesus Christ. And yes, I'm going to feel down sometimes. Yes, I'm going to be discouraged, but I'm not going to give up, because I know, sometime in the future, I'm going to appreciate God's blessings that He's given me, even in the dark times, even in the difficulty. I've got to check my emotions. I've got to keep them in check. The way you feel passes, but it may not necessarily be an accurate representation of how it is that things are going right now. Number two, you've got to remember that God's word is there for our comfort. God's word is there for our comfort. One of the best places we can go in times of difficulty and times when we want to give up is the Psalms and begin reading through the Psalms. Or maybe go and read some of those passages that talk about the difficulties that Paul faced. 2 Corinthians 11 would be one of those places. But looking at my life and looking at how things go and looking at how the psalmist, from one time to the next, seemed like he cried, I, From out of the pit, I cry unto you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. God, I want you to listen to me. I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to understand how much I hurt about this. But then looking. And seeing the comfort that God's word affords. And how he does, and he is the one that lifts us up out of that pit. The one that is with us, who will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. The one who's with us even until the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20. Realize that his word is there so that we... Can have comfort even when we're in the pit. But also the God that cares enough to lift us out of the pit. That's who it reveals. Turn to God's word in distress and difficulty when you want to give up. Because that's why it's there. Number three. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. The Lord is able to turn your mourning into laughter. Your Lord is able to turn your sorrow into joy. The Lord is able to take a dire situation, a situation where all you can see is storm clouds around, but He's looking for that one who's going to trust in Him, who's going to wait on Him. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31. Trust in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Let your speech be something that pleases the Lord in those dire situations. was falling out financially. The car exploded. The engine doesn't work anymore. And you're looking at these difficult things and Isn't it funny that they come one right after another sometimes? And they come in series to where this happened, and all of a sudden this happened, and all of a sudden this happened. It's kind of like the same situation that Job faced, where it was that Satan didn't allow time to pass between each one of those servants coming, but it is that this happened, and then immediately another servant comes in and says this happened. Another comes in and says this happens. But to have the attitude of Job, Say, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or later on in the book, even though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Brothers and sisters, we need Christians with that attitude. And realizing that the Lord is there, and he still promised us that the best is firmly in the future. We don't need to give up. We need to continue to trust in him. We need to continue to wait on him. I don't like to wait, do you? But that's the exact admonition that we have. Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Endure what it is that you're going through with faith. Recognizing God's going to bring about salvation. Number next. Stay close to the Lord and faithful brethren. Proverbs 18 verse 1 is one that we all ought to take into account and memorize and think about. Man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. When a wolf is going after a sheep, uh, a herd of sheep, you know which ones he's going to get? He's going to get the ones that are on the outskirts, the ones that are stragglers, the ones that are staying behind by themselves. Maybe the, uh, the weak, maybe the ones that are uh, infirm some way. He's going to go after those that are on the fringes. He's not going to go right into the middle of the uh, the sheepfold and try and get one that's right there in the middle. He's going to go after one of the ones on the edge. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. There is safety in being a part of the church that Jesus Christ built. There is safety in being actively involved in the lives of brethren. But what the devil wants more than anything else is to discourage you so much to say that these people don't understand what I'm going through. These people could never sympathize with me. They could never understand how how much I've been hurt. They could never understand how difficult this is. Therefore, I'm just going to separate myself away from those people. And the potential comes infinitely more that that person's going to give up. There is safety. In the body of Christ. There is encouragement in the body of Christ. There are people who are willing to hold up your hands like Moses of long ago to to, to encourage you and help you to say, I can do this. Through my Christian brothers and sisters, through trusting in the Lord, I can make it. We can go together. And if I'm so much so that I think that Christianity is just a lone ranger service that I don't need anybody, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. We need each other. And we need the comfort that Jesus Christ, that God himself affords us through the comfort of one another. That's all 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And looking at how he talks about the comfort of God coming from God and being dispersed by the church, by the encouragement that we can give one another. We need that. We've got to stay close to the Lord, stay close to faithful brethren. Focus on the prize. Focus on the prize. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Revelation 2, verse 10. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, Jesus Christ has laid up for us an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Somewhere in heaven, there is an inheritance that's got your name on it. Laid up for you, there's something that's The Lord has promised to you something that's better, far better than anything this life has to offer. Far better than anything you can imagine. And it's just waiting for you. It's waiting for me. Don't focus on the bad. Don't let the thinking about the bad and rehearsing those bad things over and over and over, let that affect your emotions to the point where that affects your behavior to where you make a rash decision and say, I'm done with all these people. Change your thinking change your focus, change your mindset. Whatever things are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and good report, if there's anything virtuous, if anything praiseworthy, think about these things, Philippians 4, verse 8. I want to put my mind where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. I don't want to think about how much I hurt. I don't want to think about how bad things are. I don't want to think about the despair and the difficulty and depression that things of this life and situations and people want to cause me. I want to focus on the prize, that with my Jesus, there's a life far better than this one. And the greatest mistake I can possibly make is in giving up. Brothers and sisters, maybe it is this morning that you've been thinking about giving up on the Christian life. Because it is that maybe the devil's taken away your focus. Maybe it is life in general has taken away your focus. And you forget who it is that you're living for. And you forget why it is that you were created. And you forget what your purpose is, or maybe you've lost sight of your purpose. This morning, brothers and sisters, let me let you understand, and let me help you understand, our purpose is to live for Jesus Christ. Our purpose is complete in Him. And the purpose that God planned and and saving us through Him. And you're somebody because of the one that created you. But you're saved because of the one that that buried you in baptism. Because of the one that washed away your sins. Because of the one that loves you enough that He came down, as Carrie mentioned this morning in his prayer, and became God with us. You're special. That if you were the only one that had ever lived on this earth, Jesus Christ still would have come and he still would have died for you. Because you're that special to him. Put your confidence in him. Put your hope firmly in him. Don't give up. Keep going. If we can help you this morning to understand that better. If we can encourage you this morning. We're going to issue an invitation song. Won't you make it known as we stand and sing our invitation?